Hi everyone, welcome to the All Inclusive Podcast, where each week I chat with industry experts and diversity, equity and inclusion executives from the world's leading global brands who share their knowledge, experience and actual takeaways to help inclusive employers create cultures of belonging where everyone can thrive. Today I'm joined by Guillermo Gutierrez, Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Manpower. Welcome Guillermo. Yeah, thank you, Natasha. It's great to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited to have a chat with you today. Um, so I think the best thing to do is just to kick off with our to our listeners and let us know a bit more about you and your journey as where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I've been in um, in the professional world since I I graduated from college um, in 1988. So. Uh, don't count it's over 20 years uh, and most of my life I spent working in uh, with in the people business so human resources talent development coaching um, working with leaders change management and um, a big portion now in uh, dedicated functions for diversity equity and inclusion um, and you know I'm a, I'm a native of Mexico I was born and raised there um, later, I have the opportunity to travel and work um, in India first, uh, then in Fiji Islands, um, right after college, uh, travel, travel a bit, learn a lot about the world and about uh, how differences matter uh, in the way we work together. I think that's where I was bit by the bug. And before I knew that this was this field, this professional field, um, I understood in my personal experience how important it is to acknowledge, appreciate, and and um, and really try to understand uh, our differences uh, and similarities as well. Um, then you know, came back uh, once I, I was transformed by this experience, uh, shifted my career path, uh, decided to get some more education on how organizations work. So I did a master's degree in organization development, and uh, my first job, my first corporate role in Mexico was with this American company. Um, it's a global company called Kohler. Uh, they have many different divisions, but they're best known for kitchen and bath products. Um, and with them, I had an opportunity to move to the U.S. Um, and so my career uh, took me here to the country that I, I think I now call home for you know over 18 years. Uh, I met my wife here, who's a native of uh, not only the U.S., but Wisconsin, where I live. And um, then I've had the opportunity to do some of this work here. And um, the, the practice of diversity, equity, inclusion um, is uh, different everywhere you are, uh, but it's been a business practice and a dedicated practice in the US for a long time. And so this is how I learned the trade, you know, the, what it means to be a practitioner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up here. Oh, great. And how are you finding it so far? Um, it's a roller coaster. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a job that uh, has a lot of emotions. Um, you know, there's hope, there's optimism, there's joy, um, because the work uh, that we do in, in um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, it impacts people's lives directly. Like how people uh, feel uh, about themselves, uh, where they're at and where they work. Um, how people connect with each other, um, the type of experiences that we provide each other and how we can succeed or not together. So 
um, there's no area of the organization that I don't collaborate with. Um, work with marketing, work with, of course, our HR teams, uh, work with our sales teams, um, our communication teams, um, anyone uh, in the organization um, does some work that impact people. Um, and so uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a people function, right? It's, uh, it's both about the culture, but the culture is made of Know, people's actions and beliefs. So um, it's rewarding. Uh, oftentimes uh, can be frustrating when you see the opportunity to go far or to make progress, um, but the progress is not made just because we want it to be so, right? You have to work for it. You have to get buying to uh, get people to work together towards the same goal. So yeah, I, I love it. I, I won't do anything else that this is and not only my job or my profession, but it's my calling. Um, I think that's how I uh, add to the world. Um, and every day is different. Some days I, I end up the day saying, hmm, I, I, I made a difference. And some other days uh, I, I end the day saying, okay, I can do better. Um, and it's just all part of this experience. Yeah, definitely. I think it, I feel like that's, that's what, most people want they want to be able to feel like they're being feel to feel fulfilled um and that for me personally I that you're making I'm I want to feel like I'm making a difference and so because overall that feeds into we think about the amount of time that we spend at work and doing work pretty mm -hmm. much majority of our lives is centered around working um for, for most people and so I think that you want to make sure that the work that you're actually doing is meaningful to yourself. Um, and it's even more of a benefit and, and a perk if you can see that it's actually going to be impacting other people and making their lives even better. So um, thank yeah. you so much for the work that you're doing, Guillermo. Um, that kind of leads me on to a little bit more to talk to you about and, and ask you actually, what key steps do you think organizations need to, to take to create these cultures of, of belonging in the workplace? You know, it's, it's both a, a, a personal, we need to all take personal steps, but also um, together steps as an organization. So, um, this is the, the practice, and, and, it, and it's a business practice. Um, you know, uh, like other professional functions, um, like finance or safety or operations, marketing, um, within the realm of, of HR, where most of the time this, this role fits or this practice fits, um, it has to be seen as part of the business, a part of what we do and how we do it. Um, so the, it's important to start with um, really asking that question, um, that, that very honest, direct question of why do we care about this work? How is this making uh, our organization more successful? How is this reducing risk and positioning us for um, a better future? And there, I mean, there are clear answers for that. Um, the correlation between higher levels of diversity and inclusion and innovation 
customer satisfaction, profitability. Um, but while that research is there, you have to make it, you, it has to make sense for you as an organization, as an individual, right? Um, I think there are many leaders that I know that intellectually, they say, okay, yeah, I can buy into that. More diversity, good idea, different perspectives, better decisions. All right, it makes sense. But at the personal level, we're not just talking about getting a, a, a bunch of different people in the room and brainstorming, right? We're talking about um, acknowledging that some people have barriers, um, that not everyone has the same experience, that not everyone um, is part of the norm, and that there are numerical you know, people who are underrepresented or um, you know, underserved or marginalized that don't feel that you know, they can really be who they are and bring their best. Uh, and so focusing on diversity, you know, equity and inclusion is not just an aspiration uh, and it's not all just fun, right? Like you really have to do work. Um, so I think organizations, um, leaders in organizations have to come to terms with what it means to be serious about doing work, um, to bring more diversity. You have to change the way you recruit and you hire um, to keep diversity, you have to focus on retention and understand what motivates people and what maybe get in the way of people. And um, when you're working around equity, you have to be willing to look in uh, under the hood, right? Look in the mirror and say, what of our process and practices may be without intention having a disparate impact on, on people. Um, and so it takes hard work and it takes dedication and intentionality. Um, uh, so every organization that I talk to that is beginning this journey, uh, they're thinking about, well, we should do something, but where do we start? I always say, you have to start with your why. Why do you want to focus on this? Is it because you think you have to? You're not there yet. It's not, it's not that if you take any action, it's not going to be helpful, but it may be short-lived, right? Um, you really need to know why you want to do this. Um, so I will say you always have to start there. Yeah. You talked about a little bit about kind of focusing on retention and that being kind of encompassing when you're looking at creating these cultures of belonging. For you, what have you seen is kind of thinking about actually putting it into action? Who would be kind of the first person that you speak to to try to work through those objectives? Around retention, um, I know there's one person that you talk to. I, I mean, if there's if there one um, group is senior leaders, because um, the the rules of engagement, right, the the policies, the practices, the way we do things in any organization, are set, supported, reinforced, and possibly change by the senior leaders in the organization, right? There may be a lot of people who throughout the organization believe that we could do different and there are things that we can improve or there are opportunities to enhance inclusion. But if the leaders of the organization don't see it or they don't think it's important, it's not clear to them what needs to be done and why, there's, there are multiple priorities, right? The, the attention of those executives and leaders uh, is, is pulled 
from so many different angles that um, this has to become a concrete, clear um, way of improving the business, right? And so when you think about retention and creating belonging, uh, unless it's made concrete, it feels fluffy. It feels like, a, yeah, it's a nice thing. Of course, we want people to belong. But what does it actually mean, right? Well, it might mean that we want to have a very uh, well put together onboarding program. Uh, because when people come to organization, there's a way that they need to be um, welcome and integrated and connected. Um, so if you don't have a number of the program, you're probably not going to have, you're missing out on the opportunity to create belonging from the beginning. Right? Um, if you don't focus on development of people and you only do development plans for the top 10% of high potential, you'll have a top 10% of people who are going to feel that they belong and they're valued, but everyone else is not. And so you have to be willing to put in the effort and create a system and a process to develop those plans and hold people accountable, especially people managers, right, to, to, to have those plans. Um, so there's no one person that owns this, but without the... The, the sponsorship and the support, uh, including financial support of the, of the leaders, um, this is just an aspiration. And it's left to someone who cares deeply and maybe they do this for their team, but it's not gonna be a systemic effort. Um, so I, I will say there's no one person, um, but you have to start with the leaders. What are some of the obstacles you've faced? Um, a, a few things. Um, especially in the US, this conversation started decades ago. So this is a new, this is not a new focus, right, on, on diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, the word belonging has entered our, uh, our language, common language, much more recently. Um, the, in the beginning, really, when this work started, um, there was there was overt discrimination in the workplace, right? Um, it was people that did not, they, they were not part of the norm, right? That majority group or dominant group did not have the same experience. They were denied jobs, promotions. They, they, they were not hired. Uh, they were fired right, because of those differences. And so this work really started uh, as a movement to um, to address those very explicit acts of discrimination and exclusion. As we move past that, including creating a legal framework, right, in, in the country and now in the world, um, where overt exclusion and discrimination is illegal and is punished, um, the, some of the language that we've used has not evolved. And so I think when we bring, which is still very important, when we bring the conversation to the organization from the social justice perspective, and we don't tie it to why the business should care and how this makes the organization better, it's harder to say this conversation belongs and needs to be had in the workplace and not just in society. So this conversation is always being had in society is always important, right? We have so many things to address 
that um, you know we we have to put time and energy. Um, but organizations are focused on what they were created to do. Um, nonprofits had a mission, and they have to deliver on that mission. Uh, profit organizations they are they have a mission of creating revenue through uh, servicing their clients. Um, Religious institutions have a mission of, you know, having more people be part of that institution. And so every organization, every institution has goals. And if this is not tied to those goals, uh, it becomes a, yeah, we agree that it's important and we support it and we're all for a better world. Um, but how, what does that have to do with the work that we're doing here today? Right. And so I, I think sometimes we, 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 in our passion and our belief that this is work that is required to change people's lives and make them better and drive equity and justice, um, we don't speak the language of business or the language of organization. Um, and then we're not as heard or is not understood. And it takes longer to get by in. It takes longer to get things done because um, no one there's there's no directing people to do right we, we don't say okay from now on you're going to be more inclusive and you're going to be more inclusive and this is how it's going to happen you know we this work is done through influence to collaboration through buying um to setting up uh, different practices um but those practices have to be followed right and reinforced so, so that's one obstacle. We, we don't uh, use the language of business. Um, and I think the second is, um, well, the, the, the people who are um, primarily at a disadvantage and oftentimes we focus on them so that we can um, level the playing field, right? as, as we say, provide resources, remove barriers, um, you know, we know they're underrepresented, underserved. But the dominant majority, which, you know, in, in, in most cases tends to be white cisgender men, um, if they're not part of this conversation and they don't see a point to engage and support, we have no critical mass to make any significant changes. And, and I think over time, we focus on the way we've spoken about this work um, has created the notion, in many cases, that this work is for some and not for everyone, right? And while diversity oftentimes is about representation and really increasing um, the diversity within an organization of what's missing, inclusion is for everyone, equity is for everyone, belonging is for everyone. But we don't don't speak about it clearly enough in those terms. So we have a group of people who are disengaged from this work, and so we're constantly trying to get buy-in. So until people feel that this is also about them, uh, it's going to continue to be difficult um, to make true progress. And so, I think I agree with you completely. I think it, it's actually true. I mean we know the those particular groups that have been marginalized that are continuously discriminated against and those are the people that we we want to try to uplift and and to kind of bring about that level playing field and yes there's a lot of focus on in doing that and that's 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 great but i i, I agree i think you make a good point that there is also those people that 
are already um who have been benefiting to those that sit in a privileged position that we still need that that buy-in from them they still also need to feel like they're included in, in what's happening um and that they also belong in in this new in this new workplace where everyone is going to be equal where everyone is going to going to feel like they can bring their true selves to work um so how would you go about in in trying to get those those allies because to me I feel like that that's that's what I would call them it's it's trying to get them to to become those allies um what is one of the techniques that you use to try to get that buy-in from them um the the best way um that I have found is to create spaces and opportunities and opportunities for people to connect, especially to connect with people outside their circle, outside the people that they will naturally connect with because they're either closest to them or they are more like them. Um, you know, there's something called affinity bias. Um, and we all experience it, right? It's not just for some groups. We all experience affinity bias. It's part of our human nature, part of our survival mechanism to seek people who are more like us, where we feel safe when, when it's familiar. Um, and so it, it takes effort right, and, and intention to get out of that circle where we feel understood and we feel like, okay, we're with our people. And... Um, reach out to or connect with someone who uh, from perception are not like us in any way. What happens when you do that is you find many ways in which that person that seem different is actually very much like you. And so the difference becomes just part of who they are, but it's not how you relate to them. Right. Um, and so when people that have different genders or sex orientation or race um, come together and then they find out that they have common hobbies or they, you know, um, they speak a common language because they live in different places or they are both the middle child or they, they both live in different countries or were immigrants, even if they're from completely different parts of the world there's this kindred, right? There's this connection um, where you, again, are more open to see difference as part of the whole of a person and that difference becomes less threatening. And so the next time you encounter the same, you encounter the same difference, right? The exact same difference. You are now primed to see that as even an interesting thing about someone you're meeting, right? Um, when, when you don't have those experiences, difference creates distance. And the only way to reduce distance is by finding those common threads that get people closer. Um, we all give people that we like and we trust the benefit of the doubt. We assume positive intent. We forgive them for you know, any flaws that they may have. We may get mad at them, but we don't judge their character. And sometimes our best friends start by being people that we absolutely thought we had nothing in common and will never even, you know, go out to lunch with them. But 
the connection happens and they become our best friends. We don't do enough of that in the world, right? And the workplace doesn't allow or doesn't, it's not that it doesn't allow, but doesn't create those opportunities naturally, right? We, we, uh, we have structures that um, where we, we tend to stick within our own circles because that's how we do work. That's how we produce. And even if we say we're very collaborative culture, we collaborate only with certain people that we're supposed to collaborate to get something done. So I have found a lot of success through uh, peer mentoring programs to creating just connections, business resource groups or ERGs, employee resource groups are a great way for people to connect um, and get to know each other and then expand those connections. And the more we do that, the more as humans we start thinking of we versus them. Um, and that makes a whole difference. I'm interested, Zoe, what's been your your proudest moment so far in, in your DEI career? Um, I've had a few. Uh, and, and the moments have been um, where the people in the organization, teams, managers, leaders at all levels realize, and you sometimes can, you know, I can remember moments when this happened, realize the power of doing, doing the work that results in more inclusive uh, work teams. Um, when, they, when they see um, that, the, the kind of dynamic that can happen in a team when there's true trust and psychological safety and you know, the team has that level of um, understanding of each other's differences and strengths. And, and when that produces, right, those great outcomes and you see you know, some of the leaders or people sit back and then you can even almost see it in, the, in their face, right? Wow, that's what it looks like. Yeah, that's it's like a it, light switch, right? So it's yes. like, oh, okay, they get right? it now. What, what, mm. Someone comes to me and says, like, you know what? I didn't get it before, but this happened or that happened, and I get it now. And I'm all in. Those are, that, that's, that's what makes a difference. Because now it's not, I don't have to continue to work, or we don't have to continue to work to get them to engage and support. Work is done right, is, is now their own mission. They, it's, it's about what they want to see in the world, not what they think others want to see and they're willing to support. Um, and this is going to be work forever, right? I mean, those light bulbs will, it, they, they go on for different people at different times because we, we all start in different places based on our experiences and who we are. Um, but I've seen enough of those moments that gives me uh, motivation to continue to do this work and see more of that, right? And demonstrate the true value that if you, if you do it, if you try it, if you put in the work, you will see these results, right? It will benefit everyone, including you and the work that you want to do. Um, so that, that, that makes me happy. I guess it will probably outweigh those times where, where you have those tougher days um you've got kind of to look back on on those moments um and those experiences that those people have had due to the result of the great work that you're doing what's one thing that you feel that that leaders aren't talking enough about and that they should really be speaking on um 
I think leaders are not talking enough about the difference between um, impact and intention, um, uh, as well as they're not talking enough about what they don't know and what they need to know more of, right? Um, so I'll start with the first. Um, we, we judge ourselves and we're afraid of being judged uh, on our intentions, right? So if uh, when, we, when we get feedback or when we, um, we are seen or feedback either personal one-on-one -on -one or through a survey that people don't feel that their voice counts or they don't feel included, they don't feel that they can you know, be their whole selves, um, there's a natural reaction of defensiveness. I will, I respect everyone, right? I, I believe in the dignity of people and I, um, you know, I'm a good person, right? I, I, I'm trying my best. Um, and when that, when that leaves out is, yeah, I can be a good person. I can have the best intentions, but I am not a perfect person and I don't understand everyone in the world. So I may do something, say something, act in some ways that contribute to barriers, right? Contribute to uh, making some people feel that they don't um, have the opportunity to show up uh, as they are. And it's not that I meant it. I'm not a bad person. It's not questioning my character. Nevertheless, it happened. And so am I willing to acknowledge that regardless of my intention, the impact of my actions, not just as a person, but as a leader, right? The way I set practices, the way I run meetings, the way I make decisions is not creating that environment of inclusion and equity and belonging that I say I want to see. Am I willing to then question and interrogate, right? Th those, those impacts without believing or, or, or defending my character and my intentions. So I don't think leaders do that enough because that's self-reflection, right? It takes, um, it, you know, it, it, I will say it takes vulnerability, it takes um, self-awareness um, and courage, right? Um, to, to do that, especially if you do it openly, especially if you acknowledge that with other people yeah yeah I think um, it's one level it's like a it's a two tier I feel like it's two levels to that doesn't isn't it it's, it's one you want to be self-aware you want to kind of self-reflect but then the next level up to that is actually being able to openly express that um which for some people it's it it, it can be quite difficult yeah yeah I, I mean we've we've been um and this is changing uh, in, in generation by generation, but many of us, including myself, um, you know, came into the workforce with the premise of, um, you know, you talk business, you do business, right? You, there's a professional, there, there's some expectations of what it means to be professional and, uh, and written or unwritten, sometimes professional means you, don't talk about certain things, right? You don't show emotion in a certain way. You, and, and then, um, you know, as you grow up as a leader, there's, there's this um, expectation, right? In some ways that you put on yourself and sometimes organizations put on leaders of um, they, 
infallibility. Like you have to be the one who knows, who is always cheerful, who is always positive and always, you know, is, is confident and knows where we need to go and knows where we're going to get there. Um, and that's an illusion, right? There's no human being that exists that always is that confident, secure, all-knowing. But that, that perception makes it harder for leaders to show up as people, right? Now, there's a difference between you know, a leader who says, my goodness, I'm so afraid that I don't know what's going to happen in the world. You, know, you, you do have a responsibility as a leader to help the team feel, okay, things are going to work out. Yeah, um, yeah, like you know right? a little bit about what you're doing. You've got, you've got yes, some I mean, things you, handled, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, right? You, I mean, you, yes, you, you do have, you, you show up, that's, that's leadership, right? But it's also authentic to say, um, you know, I, I either I made the mistake or I made this assumption, I said something and I've been thinking about it. And this may have had repercussions for a time. I, I I reflect on the way the last the last meeting that we had, and you know there were there were there were few people who chimed into that conversation, and we were we were trying to move too quick, and I realized that we didn't hear all voices, and it's on me, right? It is that level of authenticity and recognition of the impact of how you show up, and what is. The dynamic and the and the kind of environment that it creates with your people, um, that recognition of you're not uh, all knowing. Uh, I I recently had a podcast with Satya Nadella, the the uh, CEO of Microsoft, and um, I don't think I don't know if he coined this uh, this phrase or it was somewhere else, but he uses it. That is, um, he aspires to be uh, not a know it all, but a learn it all. Right. Um, and so it resonated with me. When you show up as a know at all, you're always afraid of showing if, that you don't know all of it uh, and how it's going to affect your image. When your goal is to be a learner at all and really be always curious and willing to acknowledge what you don't know, learn it and apply it so you can keep uh, growing and improving, it sets a tone for the rest of the organization, but it also, you know, Psychological space is created by modeling, right? Uh, you can't have psychological space unless the leader models that it is okay to make mistakes. It is okay to not know. It's okay to you know, not have the best perspective or have the best idea in the room. Um, so authenticity um, in that way, I think, is, is not done enough by leaders. Um, and and it, it shows. I think those are some, definitely some great tips, Guillermo. I really do appreciate you taking the time to speaking with me today and sharing your insights and your journey with our listeners. Um, before you do leave us, what's your parting piece of advice that you'd give to the DEI leaders of tomorrow? Well, it's been a pleasure, Natasha. Thank you for the invitation. So I, I will leave those uh, leaders who are whatever they are in their journey, and I'm one of them, we're constantly learning and trying to do better. Um, but a few things that I have learned. Um, one, you have to meet people where they're at. Um, and so sometimes, because we think about this 24 um, 7, 
we have a bias towards well, how far people should be in this conversation. But we had this conversation with ourselves and with others that do the same work um, for, for a long time, right? even in our personal life or professional life. And, and so you, you can't expect someone who has not had these conversations to be where you're at. And, and if you show up as judgy, right? If people feel you're judging them, you're gonna create defensiveness and you're not gonna create the, op the openness to have dialogue that is necessary to make progress. So is we're not, um, we, we're also human beings. So as practitioners, we also have biases. We also have assumptions. We also do, we also make judgments. And, and so you have to be careful that doesn't get in the way. Um, I'll say two, you always have to find out how context matters, right? So if you have a great idea about, well, we need to create a mentoring program so we can uh, help our underrepresented talent have opportunities for the future. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's been done before, but take the time to do the discovery of how it's going to work where you're at, who needs to be involved, what are the things that have been done or already exist, um, and then tie it to that, right? It, it, it has to be part of what is already happening in the organization so that it feels connected and it doesn't feel like something that is just coming you know, out of nowhere. Um, and then the third one is um, create your own support system. Um, you're gonna need someone to talk to uh, at the end of the day or at the end of the week or at the end of a month or a year that you can unfilter say, this is where I'm at. It's been, I'm tired, I'm frustrated. This is what I've learned. I keep trying this. Um, because again, we think about this 24 seven, we care deeply, it can be very emotional work. And it's important to do self-care, right? To, to know that you have to live to fight another day. And if you don't care, take care of yourself, um, you know, you, you may burn out and it happens to a lot of people. And, and then we're losing great people to, who can make a difference in the world. So um, take care of yourself as you're also working to help others. Oh, that's great, Guillermo. Thank you so much for those three three pieces of advice there for DEL Digital of tomorrow. That's great. And how can everyone, anyone who's listening, how can they connect with you? Um, I hope you can put my uh, LinkedIn page uh, on the notes. Um, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the where I'm the most active. Um, I will say that's probably the best way. Um, and um, yeah, that that I that will be my recommendation. But you know, through you, you also know how to find me, where to find me. So I'm happy to connect with anyone through you as well. But that would be probably the easiest. I'll definitely put a link to your um, LinkedIn page in the notes under the episode so whoever's listening is, is definitely able to reach out to you um thanks so much again Guillermo for for taking the time out to speak with me today um it's been great chatting with you and um I wish you all the best thank you same here and I hope we talk again it's been a pleasure